Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Brian Wixon, founder of ironcell.com and operator of Equipment Exchange. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. We are back with another stretch episode where we challenge ourselves to think differently about what our future in this industry looks like. We discuss what the current state of the equipment market is and how tokenization and digitizing will change the way contractors leverage equipment and operators as a means to win projects. Today's show is brought to you by Central, commercial carpenters and supporters of our conversations. Enjoy the show. Hey, Brian. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for uh, coming out. And now, you're local here in Boston right now? Right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And you're kind of, what are you, splitting time a little bit between New Hampshire time. and Boston? Splitting time, yes, sir. Yep, live free or die. That's my place. That's it. Um, so, Brian, I think a good place to start would be for you to explain what you do for a business most times, if sure. someone's a project manager or a business owner, I don't ask them to do that because we know, but you, right, right, you're right. doing something a little more unique. So maybe can you tell listeners? Yeah. So what? so my father and my uncle started a siteware company back in the 70s, and uh, I basically would be considered third generation because of the uh, age gap. And uh, that's where I started and back when I was a young boy. And... Um, that has turned into now I was basically buying equipment from my father's business and then selling it, which eventually turned into in 08 when I liquidated a lot of the equipment for him. Then I just kept running with it. So then um, we kept rolling with uh, Equipment Exchange as one of my businesses. And um, I started to dip into fintech and some blockchain and some crypto stuff uh, about six, seven years ago. Uh, some Web3 platforms. And um, that's where I started uh, ironcell.com. So we're running two different two different entities um, with Parallel one initiative. Yep. yep, yep. So Equipment Exchange was buying and selling, leasing, renting, um, basically for people that I knew. And then I would uh, broker and sell and market. Okay. So your dad's and uncle's business need to liquidate... Um, Equipment yeah, as, every, and, as did everyone. Yeah, and that's when and I kind of... Uh, I during was ex- the 2008 crash. Correct. Right? Um, and that got you into the buying and selling of Loved equipment. Loved it. I went to an auction, like I was you know, saying earlier, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, I remember being at the auction and dealing with all these guys and the money being spent and the iron moving and where it was going, who was buying it, who was selling it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that I, at some point in time, needed to get to an international level. Of, of foreign exchange and that's mm-hmm. where um we'll get into that a little bit where digital currency comes in some web three and some cross-border payment stuff that i've been working on for the past like five years yeah so equipment exchange like you said buying selling used equipment yeah right never knew market right? basically marketing marketing I, I was basically commoditizing things before it was commoditizing which as we know today is basically tokenization yeah, don't, of go, assets. don't go too fast on us yet. Well, we will get there. We'll get there. I just want people to get a grasp yes. of your your initial business, mm-hmm. right? So buying, selling, um, marketing to make someone's equipment more valuable so they can get a better Yeah, we try to return. go in and try to find the value of that equipment and find a good market for it using analytics and data in my network of, of knowing the business and mm-hmm. um, 
some key players in it all yeah. over the world. So it's a mix of that marketing and then a traditional broker almost, right? Yeah. So I, I do hold a New Hampshire auctioneer's license. Um, and that, that allows me to, to do navigate that world of brokering, okay. um, legitimately. And, um, what it did was put me in a position to deal with, you know, some real estate guys and trend towards that market with equipment. Mm-hmm. So we'll, at some point we'll merge those two together and where that comes through with uh, some Web3 things down the line. Okay. So, Brian, so taking a look at what's happened, a lot of this, a lot of people want to talk about it being kind of, uh, you know, maybe potentially like pandemic related or whatever. But what are you seeing currently in in the marketplace? We're going through a, a commodity shift, right? So it's supply and demand. But as we move on to a, uh, a newer, basically, uh, Web3 type of transaction, transition, transitory um, landscape, you know, the, the commoditization, the supply and demand of, of everything is getting a lot faster. So, you know, for somebody to go in and, and buy, uh, you know, back in the day, it was a, a dollar per thousand. You know what I mean? If a machine was a hundred grand, you, it's a hundred dollars an hour. That's long gone. And it's been long gone. And I used to ask my father, like, what, what is going on here? You can't spend, you know, $589,000 right now for a 50-ton metric machine. Like, where is the rest of that money come from? And then you look at an auction price and the depreciation over that time and you know how do you how do you make that up in this market and you you can't you know i have one one customer that lost was behind $500,000 on a set price job because of the supplies of everything right so i had to liquidate some of his equipment for him just to play catch up on a job because he was under contract mm-hmm. so you know we're we're in a which we can get to later on, is in a liquidity crisis in the market from stem to stern. A lot of it's driven by labor, right? So I went and visited a few customers down in uh, New York, New Jersey, and the guy had over a million dollars sitting on a job site on a Tuesday morning. Just sitting there. (laughs) Like, what's going on? Is everything okay? He's like, nope, I don't have any help. Like, okay, as a matter of fact, that's for sale, and that's for sale, and that's for sale. Like, all right? You know, and that's... That I deal with that a lot. A lot of it's just labor driven. You know, mm-hmm. some of it's parts driven. Some of it's, um, like I said, other outside supplier. You know, cost driven. Yeah. Can we can we go back to that example you're talking about where, you know, historically you're saying a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment. Sure. You're billing out at a hundred dollars an hour. That was so, in the mid '90s. We used to use that. So very much like someone buys an apartment building, there's 10 units, and they say, okay, we need to get X amount of dollars per month per each unit Correct. to make the, Correct. the note and make the profit that we want. Correct. So what you're saying is it used to be $100,000. You would bill that at a dollar per thousand. thousand. That would be $100 an hour. You would bill out the machine, not including labor. Correct. That was just the asset price asset so yep. that's so just like the asset is the real estate mm-hmm. in this case the asset is the piece of equipment mm-hmm. that's what you need to get the return but cool. where you're saying this is breaking down is that hundred thousand dollar asset is now five hundred eighty nine thousand or three hundred right we're way way over so but that 
that also is the transition into fractional shares in the new shared economy. So now we, we move back to um, the fractional shares of equipment, right? So now you're seeing a spike in rentals. It was like I saw a report there that was like 512% up in quarter two, mm-hmm. right? So instead of owning that asset and depreciating it, um, I made a point to one of my mentors. He was co-brokering for a rental company, mm-hmm. and they're publicly traded. And um, I took capital, and I bought their stock for three months. And over the three months, it went up like 38%. And I sold it. Mm-hmm. And I went down, I had coffee with him, and I said, hey, you keep up the good work. He's like, and I'm, I said, I made 38% on your labor doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And the reason for me doing that was to make a point of him that, you know, the old mentality of, of making money of, of business has now changed into, you know, we have a smartphone, you have a smart computer, a smart car, like you need to make smart decisions with, with those technologies and that I could, mm-hmm. right? So he was, he was the one doing all the work and I was just outsmarting it by using, by being able to invest Okay, with fractional shares into yep. the company that was using the same smart lever- leveraging the same smart technology mm-hmm. to make money, whereas he was doing actually do one doing the work, yep. right? So if if I was a contractor, I would at this point change my ways of doing business and basically take the capital, invest it with that rental company or the manufacturer that I was going to rent from, mm-hmm. right? And it would just be a return on your investment that way. Yeah, you're paying yourself to right. some degree. Right. Other than owning the asset. Yeah, because w- when you were alluding to liquidity, issue, liquidity issues, mm-hmm. you're um, extending so much capital to buy that equipment and you're not seeing the return. What? what uh, so are people just making poor decisions? Because if it was real estate... Well, well, no, I don't... They're not. I, can I finish, let me just finish it now. Yeah. So if it was... Um, real estate, mm-hmm. no one, they're going to say, no, this is what I can pay for this. Uh, like I can pay 2 million for this because I know this is how much rent I can get on these units and that will work. Anything above that, I shouldn't buy that because it's a bad investment. Correct. Right. Or, now, if I am a site contractor mm-hmm. and I have all this work in place, I no longer can say, that's a bad investment, that piece of equipment, because I either need to, just like I can't say, oh, well, purchasing the gas now is a bad investment because it's too expensive. I right. go, no, I need gas because I got to do right. the, the work. It just is, this just means I'm going to, air quotes for people listening, overpay for that piece of equipment. Right. And it's going to hurt my bottom line. Is that is that what's happening? Well, a lot of like the phone calls I'll get is, you know, if, if it's a really specific piece of equipment, mm-hmm. I'll get three to four or five contractors calling on that specific piece of equipment. And they're all chasing the same job. So before people used to have the, the assets and the iron to go after a big job, and that's why they would get the big job. But now we're, we're shifting towards you don't really need the iron, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, you, you have the capital and you, you're leveraging technology and the capital in a smart way to, to, to have a return on the money. And that's why I think you're seeing a huge shift in like, um, you know, s- basically self-performing. 
with a lot of the companies in Boston. They're all self-performing. They don't really need a contractor. At the end of the day, I mean, what's standing between a contractor and a GC if the, if it's a site work contractor? Nothing, really. Why is that? Be, because of technology. A lot of these general contractors are leveraging. They've doubled down on – technology is deflationary, right? Yes. We, we can yep, call it deflationary. Yep, yep, yeah. So the only way to fight inflation is with deflation, so these general contractors, the most of them are leveraging technology instead of assets, right? In to what, use could them. Could you give me an example of how, how, how a GC would leverage technology to do the site work, package them themselves? With, with the whole modeling concept, like 3D modeling, they know their takeoff, they know exactly what machine they need, when they need it. Versus a site where a contractor is going to come in and now it's a third party and they don't have control over, you know, that asset coming, going, leaving versus they can basically give a more structured plan saying, okay, we need this asset at this amount of, at this time for this amount amount of time and we need this operator. So a lot of them, I think, are signing, you know, going union or they are union and they're just direct renting from a big rental company. Okay. I, yeah, I see the rental piece. I just think, you know, do you really think that there's enough GCs that have the knowledge base that they can take that on? Because well, we I, both I would, know labor is pretty pretty tough right now. Yeah. I mean, I would think just from a risk management standpoint, mm-hmm. as a GC especially, I mean, if it was, you know, if you're doing uh, footings and piers and a slab on grade type of thing, right? like, okay, not a big deal. But if you're doing, yeah, slurry wall or like soil nailing or soldier beam and lagging and right because like, that GC, well, excuse me, that subcontractor would have the at that specific asset to do that and knowledge though, right? Correct. Like cause correct. It's this is it's not right. Somebody I'm not saying to, across yeah. the board this would happen. I'm saying right. g- generically, like this is we're cutting a lot of the fat off off of a subcontractor. Yes. Yep. There's yeah, a yeah. lot there's a lot to be, you know, the old ways and means of doing things of having the asset and saying, "Hey, I can do this job because I have these assets." Well, those assets are available elsewhere as well. I got you. So, yeah, the the idea of leveraging your assets meaning like, "Okay, hey, I I'm the only game in town that can do this because I have the horses Correct. to do it." Correct. is not the same value as it used to Correct. be. Correct. And what that's doing is shifting a commodity towards the rentals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a supply and demand. Up here in New England, we work with the weather, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like down south, they don't they don't have to play that game. Mm-hmm. So we have winter rates on loaders, say, which is another, you know, interesting market because now the insurance is getting very uh, interesting with that whole market. A lot of the insurance companies want the money up front. So now... A lot of the property owners are scurrying around trying to get a, a plowing contractor, and a lot of them don't have the capital to put up just for the insurance, let alone the equipment. Hmm. So you might see a shift in, you know, some self-performing um, equipment, hmm. snow removal for equipment, you know. And they would be renting and then self-performing? Self-performing, yes. I mean, at the end of the day, we're almost transitioning towards like a, a European plant hire. That's that's the way I model it as. What's that look like, sorry? So you have a wet hire and a dry hire. A wet hire is is basically comes out with the fuel, labor, 
insurance and a dry hire is just the equipment. So someone would rent the equipment and then they handle labor, fuel, everything else Correct. versus someone right. basically being a subcontractor and coming out and handling Correct. everything. The differences between here and Europe is the insurance and, and obviously the liability. But a lot of it is we're trending towards that market, basically, the way I see things. Okay. So you see a future place where there's more self-performing going on. Correct. Renting of equipment. Correct. Definitely sharing of equipment. Sharing of equipment. Yes, because now where this liquidity is all locked up, if a guy doesn't get a job, you know, and I'll get that phone call. It's like, hey, I don't, I didn't get that job either. I can sell the machine, I'll rent it. Like, okay, like now it's now it's releasing liquidity, so mm-hmm. you can use telematics to put on that machine to rent that anywhere in the world, basically, if you want to, and release that liquidity. Okay, and telematics does what? That's basically a smart device for a piece of equipment monitoring its activity, geofencing. Um, so where it is, how Engine many hours functions. it's running, yeah. yep. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is where I've been transitioning into Web3 stuff because what that does is break down cross-border payments. So if somebody wanted to rent a machine from, say, Europe to here, we can now do that because we can now break down cross-border payments with any foreign exchange. Yeah, I, yeah, I want to. <laughs> Which is a whole nother, but that's, you I know, wanna... you need to think on that scale to understand that, you know, this this new emerging technology and economy of, of leveraging. Yeah, but don't you run into the fact that just the cost of shipping? Absolutely, yeah, no, that's a huge, huge problem. Becomes the barrier yeah. to, okay. Like when somebody buys a large piece of equipment, I take it apart myself. I, okay. I, I will break it down and put it on a little yeah. bit. But like if you're renting something, like, you know, the cost of shipping could eat up your profit on the job, right? Absolutely. Like, so I think right. that's the... So as, so, yes, but as we bring those assets on chain, okay, mm-hmm. basically, then you can basically manage that with, okay, we have, you know, this machine here and this attachment here. So instead of moving the machine, you move the attachment. Or you, instead of moving the attachment, you move the machine. Mm-hmm. Got it. So you, there are ways of using, once again, leveraging technology to, to just make smarter decisions Okay. based on that. Yeah. And now there could be a very advanced person like yourself that gets into this. Um, but there's also probably the place where you're looking at big manufacturers. Absolutely. And, you know, Cat or um, Hyundai or Komatsu or whatever that has assets across the Correct. globe. Correct. But in knowing, because we've had this conversation a little bit, you think that the, to, um, and I almost want to paint the problem, the picture of the problem a little better mm-hmm. before we go there, but you're you're looking at a place where the large players basically become large renters of equipment and they have the supply chain to move it and okay i have something local but hey you know what yes it's gonna cost me a little bit more to move this 
piece of equipment and crap might take a loss on that. But when it's a volume game and someone's happy to have the flexibility to get mm-hmm. parts and pieces and equipment. Yeah, and, and you'll see you'll and, definitely see that in like uh, a commodity based mining operation, you know, whether that's gold or iron ore or diamonds or, you know, things of that nature, lithium, mm-hmm. which is a huge one right now. Yeah, batteries. Um so yes, yeah, so you'll definitely see a manufacturer from a standpoint of that, just direct direct rent or lease so but how about this if i'm a subcontractor Mm -hmm. and i've got all this equipment right and um i've bought it at a great price aren't i sitting pretty then how are you using the assets are you are you leveraged against them like are they creating any any residual income for you are they are they liquidable well, if I'm a subcontractor and I have these assets, right, um, that I got at a good price. Do you price. have the labor? <laughs> no, great. All, all great questions. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, and, there are a lot of. And now I can bid against someone that either is having to pay to rent mm. or has bought the $589,000 piece of equipment that I bought for 175000 Right. Don't I win? A, don't I have a far better chance of winning work because I have that? And now that's a short-lived thing because so, eventually well, that, that, that ages kind out, of, right? That kind of goes into where the dollar's headed on that scale because what you just said, if you didn't have the capital to go buy that machine at auction price for a deal, then you would have to finance it, right? So now you're financing a machine at, at a now higher interest rate, but mm-hmm. you're paying top dollar for it. Versus somebody who had the capital who's buying that machine at market price at an auction. And the market price at auction, to me, is its utilization. How much money per thousand or per an hour is that machine built out at? Yep. That's, that's the utilization and its true value to me. Yep. Now, when you get to a real old piece of equipment... You can just do it reverse. You can say, okay, the scrap is worth X amount of dollars today, and that machine has another lifespan of you know, 500 hours in it. How many, what is that machine worth per hour for 500 hours? Right? So then you can kind of build in the cost there. Where that doesn't really work is in the international market because when the dollar gets stronger, the exporters won't come in and pay top dollar. The dollar gets weak. So you, you almost have to play, and as technology emerges, these are issues that I deal with. Like I was telling you earlier, if the dollar gets weak, my phone's ringing off the hook from exporters. If it gets stronger, it's quiet. Yeah, because they want to they take advantage of the foreign your, exchange. Yeah, and yep. and you know, like I was saying, you know, not to to dip way off, but nope. digital currency changes that. And that's why I knew this was coming years ago to, to focus in on payment structure in digital currency because this would become an issue for me in the future. So let's, let's stay there before we yeah. go somewhere else, which is so dollar weekends, mm-hmm. just like whether we're talking about corn or Across copper or sure. whatever. Mm-hmm. Same thing applies to heavy equipment. Dollar weekends, someone can buy more equipment for less in the for a hundred thousand euros as that dollar becomes weaker that hundred thousand dollars euro is going to buy more right so Correct. dollar goes down they hop in and when you're talking S- about 
Go ahead. Sorry. You're talking about such large numbers, a, a relatively small change in the dollar can mean a lot right. to a person, right? So that's the straight commodity, commoditization of it. And now, and, and I'm just slowing things down because I know myself when, uh, when I hear this stuff, it takes me a minute to digest yeah. it, where the tokenization, token, not token, I can't say tokenization. It, tokenization, thank you, comes into play is right now in order to buy in one currency in, in another, there's probably fees and exchanges and brokers and all this Correct. other stuff. Once it becomes a token, right, the, the equipment is tokenized, I can buy it just like I Venmo you money right now. I could almost... That would be tokenizing as an NFT, which yeah. is already being done in real estate. Y yes. And where this is going to affect your audience in real estate is mm -hmm. 1031 exchanges. Because right now, I'm involved with a small group of people that are doing this, and that is one of the hottest topics, is if you have... If you're sitting there basically day trading real estate as NFTs, yep. what happens to the 1031? You would just have rapid 1031 exchanges. Correct, which comes back to payment latency. So the late how quickly you get the money? Correct, which was a huge issue for me because I would, I've sent, I'll give you a prime example, just for educational purposes mm -hmm. i put a machine listed it with a lot probably the largest in the world um reseller auction company what have mm -hmm. you and it was 30 days to get paid auctions stopped asset was sold asset was left the property and i waited almost another 25 days to get paid because you're dealing with the auctioneer's process, Correct. probably some paperwork, Correct. transferring title stuff. Uh, and then on top of it... Well, can, that... Yes. Okay. Yeah, on, uh, yeah you're following me. Um, uh, on top of that, that middle person is taking Correct. their piece. Correct. Right? So if it's tokenized and all that information is on the blockchain, all the title and everything is there. Correct. It then becomes, and for, for simplicity's sake, me Venmoing you the money for that equipment. So I purchase that token digitally with my digital wallet. And well, then it would become, yes, you, you, you would, yes, it'd be an NFT, a non-fungible token. Yes. Yep. And then that title is taken care of. There's no middle person, Correct. and you have that money instantly, just like I just sent you 20 bucks over Venmo. Correct, because one of the biggest issues I deal with is UCC filings. What's UCC? Sorry. There's a universal commercial code. Basically, it's a lien or blanket lien on an asset. So when that asset and it falls under real estate with deeds and titles becomes on chain, it also becomes transparent. So everybody sees what happens. Correct, because there's metadata just behind that on the smart contract. Okay. That that is everybody's toe being dipped right. into that Very water. Easily. Okay. Very slowly. I'm hoping everybody gets that the benefit there of tokenization is 
speed. Uh, transparency. Ease, yep. Ease. Ease of use. Transparency. Speed. Uh, cost savings. Mm-hmm. Both from the elimination of a middleman Correct. and um you're getting when you're talking about that much money what's the interest on you know two million dollars if you have to wait 30 days for it right correct so uh and never mind just the liquidity of if you could want to invest that somewhere else correct yeah you right? liquidity solutions yeah. so those are all the positives that just throw in the back of your brain now if you're a listener and are afraid afraid we've got a lot of you, work to do when you hear the term blockchain or nft like just like me i'm i'm a simpleton i don't understand and i, I do want to say this to your viewers there are no experts yes period the end if somebody messages you emails you phone call any sort of communication saying they're an expert no okay because and i'm going to tell you why because a lot of the space is unregulated. Yep. And there's a lot of things yeah. in litigation to be worked out. Yep. So taking uh, the Web3 aspect out of this mm-hmm. and going back. So even if people, let's say someone's listening. Say, old and, school? Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> old school, we're going to talk electric. Like Craigslist? Or, uh, I love old, Craigslist. Old, old school electric, right? My father hates Craigslist. <laughs> We'd be on a job and he'd pass his own machine. He's, he'd go... Did you just sell that? Like, yep. Don't worry, there's a new one coming. Oh, he's telling me getting off Craigslist. Yes. Um, so even if you're listening to this and say, oh, it's going to get regulated and blockchain is never going to really pan out and digital is bullshit and all that other stuff, even if you think that, mm-hmm. there's still more disruption happening in the equipment market that we haven't even talked about. Um, let's talk about the push for electric yeah, that's equipment. a whole nother. So part of this one little project that I had this idea on was, um, you know, like there are carbon tokens, right? So you can, same thing, you do it to retain the residual value on this older piece of equipment. Maybe we could offset that in a way, right? So um, I'll leave this pretty vague, but there are a few people in the space that um, I'm in communication with to basically figure out a way to give residual value back to these older assets so that it doesn't disrupt the market for that guy who cannot afford to go buy a new piece of equipment. It cause a real socioeconomic problem, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we're kind of like mitigating and, and, you know, navigating that space as far as the, you know, the liability of that because that would cause some serious issues. Mm-hmm. But even... Um... To- taking tokenization out of this, right? So there's, um, you, we're starting to see inklings of regulatory movement mm-hmm. to make carbon neutral. Yeah, make fuel burning equipment. Correct. And it, and it's kind of funny, right? So like you would expect somebody me who's kind of like blue collar, hands on, like I've been around the stuff all my life, to be so for not complying or or, or shifting towards that market. Mm-hmm. But after being around some electric cars and trucks and vehicles and seeing what you can do and the value and the lifespan of the equipment, I like it. To be honest with mm-hmm. you. I don't want to change a fuel filter at three o'clock in the morning because it's 
gelled up on the side of 93. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Versus it's electric. It's turn it on. We're good. We're warm. Yep. Um, and you have to change the way you work. And that's that's what's changing a lot of it too. Is like a lot of people don't want to they they don't want to they don't want to change the way they actually do the work, right? So like you have these three D models, which have been so kind of away from that market for a while. But like they have that down to a science, basically. Where like I said, you're gonna know what you need and when you need it and how long you need it for. So you can almost chart out at some point when that EV vehicle needs to be charged, where it can be charged. Like these things, we can leverage technology to use in the city to, to, to basically work differently. See, that's an interesting take. Cause, um, and that's why I, that's why I got into tech is because it get, you know, we couldn't start a machine till seven in the morning and had to shut it off at seven o'clock at night. Cause it was too loud. Well, or I mean, off, so yeah. Right. When I took down the toll booth, <laughs> On, on the mass pike, I, I had the state police called on me because I was out there till nine at night. But I did that because I saved seventeen thousand. I had it all figured out. Was like seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars for the contractor mm-hmm. because I was working differently, working smarter than harder, mm-hmm. and got it done. And he was happy. I was happy. It was, uh, you know, we were a little bit behind. Now we were ahead. Mm-hmm. But you know, if I want to get up at two o'clock in the morning and work, like you know, I can do that with tech. I can't do that with equipment. So that's kind of where I've, years ago, I was like, oh, I kind of like doing this tech thing. Yeah. That's where it started. But uh, where I think that's interesting, where you say that because you have such good data or, or information about when you need to work and how you need right. to work, that you could manage the charging. Because in discussions, when when you and I first chatted, um, I left the we've messaged a lot over the oh, yeah, over yeah. years now but yeah. um when we first met and had a conversation about this topic i left and i was like and i, I said it to you so it's not something that i won't say right now no. i'm like this guy's either a genius or a lunatic well maybe um, both uh, uh, maybe both <laughs> i've been and, called worse yeah and, uh, uh, and uh, i'm not sure to be frank right yeah. and, and, you know what's i get so involved in some of like some of these things i just have to like go sweep a floor yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pick up a shovel or I'll pass somebody. I'm like, hey, is that your machine over there? They're like, yeah. I'm like, you mind if I run it for like an hour? Like, I, I just need a, that piece of like, turn just my mind do off. Do nothing. And, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it yeah. doesn't. So I I reached out and started saying, hey, this is what this guy is telling me. And I reached out to folks that are right. in the business, yeah. in, in the equipment business and stuff like that, you know, and what's, you know, what's your thoughts? And, um, you know, most of what you, what the concepts I was saying to them, they were, they were like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's how that works. Right. Cause right. I, I didn't know the business of equipment or how to bill out a machine that was never part of my purview as a super or right. a building inspector or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, is that how you do it? Is this how you, so I was, you know, kind of fact checking for lack of a better yeah. word and kind of saying, Hey, what's this? And does this make sense? Does that make sense? And one of the, one of the issues around the electric was, um, this gentleman also is um, a developer, and they're like, we can't even get the power turned on. We can't get the power to site to get our building turned on after we have the thing built. Like, right. how are we going to so, have? Hang on, how are we going to have power? I want you to answer, but yeah. the, how are we going to have power on site to charge a machine machine while we're trying to dig the hole? We can't even get it to the power turned on for the building. Look at what we've done with the what a screw gun. 
Yes. Oh, and that's where that's why like I say what you ten are. years ago people were like <laughs> drag a out cordless. a sawzall with a cord. Yeah. Right. Now look at it. It goes like two days, three days, a week. You, yeah. you, you, you just use it, put it down. Right? Like yep. so you're only using it incrementally. So you just work differently. Yes. And that's where I think And that's where the, the adoption rate is very and the older generation just they, they can't get with it. There's a, there's the huge I don't yeah. know. It, Interesting though, this gentleman that I'm talking about mm-hmm. is actually very forward thinking and tech savvy and tries like they they are great about that thing right behind you, pillar technologies, the sensors on job sites yeah. that monitor humidity, dust particulate yeah. on job they were they were using that. Right. right. That's that's how advanced these guys are. Mm-hmm. And so they're not like they're this old people that won't, you know, get up with it, but that was their concern. But what you said to me about the ability to know what you need and when you need it well enough. And then if you layer in what you just said about just change the in, way you inc- work. Change the way you work and improvements in technologies. Mm-hmm. Maybe electric is a possibility sooner than we think with equipment. Yeah. I mean, I had bought this rubber tied Volvo excavator that I was like, uh, long story. But anyways, I was like, I am going to make this a European spec machine. It was my little project. And I did. And I put a trailer on it. I put all these attachments on it. And I spent all this crazy money on it. And my father was like, what in the hell are you doing? And I brought it to a couple of jobs for, for a gentleman. And he saved 52%. Because of fuel or what? Because I had every attachment to do every aspect of that job. The demolition, the site work, the compaction. He needed no labor. He did it all himself. The cleanup was next to nothing. The trailer, we put some sand, he put some sand in there. He moved it around. I showed him, like, yep, you can use this. Dude. There was no, we just worked a lot smarter. Mm-hmm. He needed fuel. We dropped the trailer, drive it to the fuel station. No pickup truck, right? Yeah. Drive back. I even drove it through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru just to point him. <laughs> so you, we work differently. And, and Europe does that. We don't over here. The adoption rate is very slow. <laughs> that is mm. definitely, and you at this point, going back to inflation and the price of everything, you have to look internal for profits. Yeah, in de- in deflationary things in an inflationary market. Will you tell me just because I was looking at my notes for one thing? Repeat sure. the what the benefits of going with that machine. You so you said. You had all the attachments, uh, attachments all squared away. It was, it was registered. It was a European spec. They do it in Europe, and I just mm-hmm. wanted one. I wanted to see what I could do with it, and it was endless. And so it was fuel. It was efficiency because you weren't waiting. I moved attachments around, not the machine. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I needed... Versus I, you could take it with the trailer. And, and you said you... Um, you put a trailer on it, and you drove the rubber-tired machine yeah, like versus... Three, three, three uh, towns over, yeah. Versus putting a piece of equipment on a flatbed. Low-bed costs. Yeah, and if you, if you didn't need... If you just needed a bucket, right, mm-hmm. say two towns over, you just hooked into the bucket, drove there, got in the machine, drove to the job, did the job, turned around, came back, dropped it, no low-bed cost. You couldn't fight it. You couldn't... Mm. There was really nothing I could find that was competitive with my own i just wanted to try it and see what it what i could do with it basically mm. and the few guys i gave it to were like but the up upfront cost of of setting it up was a lot of money mm-hmm. but the buck a thousand you 
couldn't you could build that machine out because of the attachments that it had. Mm-hmm. So you could eliminate a track skid steer, you could eliminate a compactor, you could eliminate all these other tools and justify the expense in that one machine mm. at the cost per hour right. and the labor rate. So let's keep going down like that uh, that thread there, which is so the newer technologies mm-hmm. are not only the electric piece, but um, like built-in grade control and automation. Uh, uh, automation. So uh, I talked with a, a, another gentleman, mm-hmm. uh, Polster Industries out of Connecticut, Patrick. Shout out to Patrick. Uh, good supporter of yeah. the show and uh, Basement Tribe. He's donated a bunch of, you know, a bunch to support some good organizations. So I like to, to mention that. And um, Pat's a great resource. Patrick's a great resource. But in talking with him, you know, he would say, yes, even though there's increased costs with these newer machines and not necessarily electric, but electric would fall into the same thing. The cost savings with Correct. efficiency yes. is saving them. Mm-hmm. And then the other gentleman said, yeah, the cost savings by not having a laborer is great, but the bigger problem, which you've already alluded to once, he goes, it's not even so much as saving that cost. He goes, I can't find a fucking laborer. So it's it's solving a labor right. problem. It's reducing cost. It's making right. you more efficient. So that helps balance out this dilemma of rising costs Correct. and the inability to charge for it, but you're making money in other places, right? Right. And and I like with social media has changed things is that some of these people think by spending that money they're gonna have that outcome. And I like to use the 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 analogy sometimes it's the jockey, not the horse. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So they'll put somebody in the machine and expect them to do the same production or or outcome. <laughs> That's not the case. Yes. I think I charted like over like twenty thousand hours or something. I don't know. I had to figure it out one time of hours in an excavator. You know, mm. I've been doing this since I was like five or six years old. My father gave me a two thirty five C and was like, "Can have at it. Like, figure it out." You know, go play. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there was no air conditioning back then. We used to have to kick the back window out and put a hair. I mean, excuse me, a, um, an air conditioning out of a house, basically, with an inverter. And that's what was your air conditioner. It was either really hot or really cold. There was no in between. Yeah, you had a stiff neck from the. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah it was yeah, terrible. Yeah. yeah. One stick, move it around, grease, yeah. you know, Zerk on the floor. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, but I never, my dad would never buy me any attachments. Like I had to do everything with a bucket. And it's mm-hmm. it's amusing to me to watch social media and these guys have all these fancy buckets and they're not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's great. But if you get on a job or, or if you can buy a $50,000, you know, say 33 metric ton, you know, there's like a breaking point where they get cheaper because no one wants to move them, right? Mm-hmm. So you can spend 50 grand and get like a 330 size machine mm-hmm. with just a bucket with no attachments. Put that guy in there. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's useless. Yep. Right? So then that devalues the asset even more. I got you. Hmm. Now, I'm going to throw continue to throw out some things that you've said to me. So these aren't my ideas. These are... These are yours, or these are your thoughts, right? 
um, where things start to balance out, but also things are, are changing as a result, which is you talked about how, and this goes back to working differently and efficiently and stuff like that, but you talked about um, you have a gas machine. Mm-hmm. It's running those hours. You're logging an eight-hour day is logged eight hours because that machine's running. Idle time, yeah. I find a lot of like especially specialty equipment in specific markets, the idle time is through, you know, 30, 40% of the lifetime that's on the machine. Mm. That's unacceptable. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just went through this with a contractor who lost probably over a hundred grand because I was like, well, he's like, well, like, come here, I'll show you why this is right here. You need to reprimand your, your opera. You need to do something about this mm-hmm. because this is the value in the machine. Had it been under that uh, breaking point, the financing would have been different. The, the everything would have been different. Mm. The whole dynamic of the machine would have been. The value would have been tremendously different. Mm. But because of the idle hours, and people say, "Oh, it's just idle hours." Well, it, with the mission control, that's still an issue. It's actually worse for it because it's not burning off the particulates mm-hmm. in your in your EGR. You, you're you're actually making it worse. Right. So you you're there's two things happening there. One is you're talking about what are the emissions things and potential taxes and costs associated with that coming down the road. Yeah. But then there's also you have an electric machine similar when an electric car pulls up to a, um, mm-hmm. a stoplight, you hear the thing turn off and then turn back on. Correct. So you, so this, that yes, will happen with electric as, machines too, right? Correct. As soon as the function stops, so does the hour meter. Yeah. So, so you, you can now, almost double the lifespan. Maybe even more, right? Because yeah. h- how much of that day are they actually physically doing something? So you, you could right. really have a machine that's showing up eight hours as a gas machine that you're logging as hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that might not be familiar with this, because sometimes we have students listening and everything, a machine, unlike a car that, like a car, if you buy a used car, they look at, well, how many miles on it? Oh, it's 100,000 miles. Right. With equipment, they look at hours. Right? And most of the new cars have, they all have hour meters on them as well. Yeah. You know. But people don't know. Uh, right, 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 right. People think of it in, in that term. So that's mm-hmm. why we're talking about hours. So you could take a gas machine, you log eight hours on it because it's just running all day long, even if it's not doing anything. Right. The electric if, if you could have two hours on that even, Correct. right? And do the same amount of work. Yeah. So from a financial... And, and if you work differently, then you're getting production out of it. Yeah, you do even better. So it's... Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all relevant. Yeah, because you talk about the payback when you were assessing a machine, say, okay, this thing has 500 hours left on it. We can make $150 an hour. Therefore, the machine is worth 500 times 150 plus whatever you get in scrap. Correct. That's how much that thing's worth. So uh, where where that changes a little bit, though, mm -hmm. is that with Tesla, and we plugged it in one morning, it was like $11 for a full charge. Went back the next night because it was, I think they considered like optimal time. Uh, Yeah, peak and off $38. So that is getting commoditized as well. How were you getting charged? Was it a, what were you plugging into? Just a charger in Boston. And you pay a fee for that? I've just never done it. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's it's getting throttled price. It's it's now you're dealing with a commodity. So you we've commoditized everything. <laughs> now yeah. we commoditize the asset. Now we commoditize the power, and yeah. that's the the world we're headed in. Yeah. We, we, let's not go here because yeah. people will be fucking spinning. But there's an interesting technology where you get into buildings that use energy storage, so batteries. Correct. 
there's um, a software out there that even if you don't have any solar or um, renewable, people put batteries in the building because the municipalities that have peak and off-peak right. charges. Correct. So in the middle of the night, you pay... 10 cents a watt in the peak time you pay 50 cents a watt or whatever right so what they do is is a software that you buy the power at 10 cents an hour store it in the battery correct and then use the battery power at 50 cents an hour right and it's i'm like genius right Right. um so that's a an advantage to the electrical that has everything to do with fractional shares and digital currency stuff like that uh, i want to get there because yep. you're going to have to make that connection for me because yep. i don't necessarily that's not obvious to me um so electrical uh, the um i forget the term you used um i said grade control and you said automation automation so automation um uh, electric the hours efficiency the non taxation and non problems with fuel associated with that those are all positives and then you were also talking to me and i i looked this up a little and i'm going to share this picture prior to um to this podcast coming out is you were talking about not only are large manufacturers getting into the rental equipment mm-hmm. game, they're also exploring uh, remote operators. Can yeah. you tell people a little bit about that? So there, there are, I can't use any names here, but the there were some deals made that weren't really public knowledge about some organized labor in, in, a, in a robotics company. Um, and at some point in time, I believe that once we become, once we get onto a newer, faster web three network and, uh, maybe, maybe 6g or five, I don't know if 5g has the, the power to do it, but you will just drive to a dealership and remote operate. You won't even go to a job site. I think that would be a, because that's deflationary. Now, all of a sudden, you don't need to pay an operator $75 an hour or $50 an hour to drive into Boston and pay $30 a day to park, right? So now it's more appealing to stay home or local and just operate that machine at a remote location. Huh, that's interesting. So I was looking at it through the lens of, I was thinking, so I looked at, and and here's what's funny. So you're talking about this and some people say, I'm like, oh, you know, is this some like fringe thing? Mm-hmm. It was reported in ENR. Uh, oh yeah, uh, no, no, we have the technology to do it. Yeah, we just want the network. <laughs> and there's a really cool. It's easy to. It's not that hard to do. Like there's some pictures of. Uh, I don't know if it was. Uh, Caterpillar or Komatsu, whoever the. It was a large. Let, let me put it to you this way: You go to Home Depot now. You go into the self checkout. What is the, what was the, what is the lady now doing that was checking you out before? Just being an assistant to like six stations. There's your answer. That's what the new, I believe the new basically on-site operator or construction laborer will be doing. Overseeing six machines that are working themselves. Yeah. Yep. 
because what was wild was this showed a picture in, and like I said, I don't remember the manufacturer, in the manufacturer's home office in like Minnesota or something like that. Mm -hmm. It had operators sitting in a chair. It looked like a, like a uh, VR gaming system where they had the same type of controls they'd have on a regular machine, like right. a joystick and pedals and everything, right? And they had multiple TVs in front of them. Right. So they were operating a piece of equipment that was in another state. So not even, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to a dealer. Like this is like, oh, they yeah. we're all in the headquarters. So yeah. think of a, a place where Hyundai or whatever, you can rent the piece of equipment, shows up on site, and you send the file to them. Hey, here's the grade cuts we need. And someone sits there yeah. remotely. The machine's out there. You'll see the machine moving around, digging, moving soil, loading it into a truck. Right. And someone's doing that while, while they're sitting in Minnesota. So that kind of... I had this this app that I was going to build like, I don't know, four or five years ago. It was called iOperateApp.com. And... What that would do was monetize you based on your production rate hmm. using telematics. So it would be Uber for operators. It would be, it would be monetizing the jockey, not the horse. Yeah. So do not put the wrong jockey on the wrong horse. That's what it it, it would integrate, and what it would do was it would it would input data and create aggregate basically a supply chain with some AI. For repair parts. So Say that again? It, it would what aggregate... Do, what do parts have to do with the operator? I'm confused. He would put in the data on chain for the machine, what it was, how many hours on it, blah, blah, blah. Got it. If it needed a PM service, it would already alert five or whatever, the, either the dealer or an aftermarket company, like, hey, this guy's going to need a, sil a, fir a filter and these parts at this amount of time based on his production rate. So then you had aftermarket companies and dealers competing for parts based on, the on stuff they knew was coming right, down the line. Right. Hmm. So that was this its disruption in, in the supply chain. Hmm. And the guy I brought it to was like, You're out of your mind, like <laughs> they'll never allow this. But now it's pretty much it's it's here. It's like but the way you can so here's where digital payments come back into play again. Mm-hmm. You can monetize somebody with fractional shares for they call crypto dust, basically, right? So you can – one of the mentors I had was like we had this conversation where you could basically have somebody mowing your grass outside mm -hmm. and pay them in real time. So if he was like 50 cents a minute or whatever, you could pay him 50 cents every minute. Because the transaction fee was so low. Mm. And that was changing a lot of things. So what you're seeing in the union is, you, I used to work with a lot of Mexicans. And they would get their paycheck, and then they would go send the money, Western Union or what have you, back to Mexico. You don't even need to do that anymore. They could get paid on a digital wallet at the end of the day and do the transfer themselves. Mm. For pennies on the dollar. You can send $30 million to UK right now for pennies on the dollar if you send a wire they want 35 dollars on both ends and you're hung up for a day and a half yeah you know and that is what we're looking at in the future hmm. latency 
Love that word. It's like my favorite word. Yeah. And that's just speed. Speed. Yeah. That's where the fast boats and stuff come from. (laughs) (laughs) So what does all this mean right now or in the short term for construction projects or contractors using heavy equipment? Because this, I mean, we talk a lot about site, but we could be talking about cranes here. We could be talking about iron workers. We could like, what does this mean? Adoption. Is is the like the term I guess I would use for everything is adoption, is you know I think a lot of companies aren't going to survive the next couple of years, and you'll you'll hear like the greatest transfer of wealth in history, you know it, for a while it's like is it going to be a war like you just think about all these things and it's like well, it maybe it's just adoption, maybe that's the transfer of wealth, because the older guys that I deal with most of them refuse to adopt. And if they don't adopt, they're going to die in business. Mm-hmm. And as the old saying goes, you either, die a vil- you either live long enough to become a hero or die a villain. Hmm. So I think I got that backwards. You either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain is the saying. And what the saying means is that you either pass the torch or you you move and adopt or... You die because you're you're trying to hold on to something that's not no longer viable. Right. Okay. So, in what would you? And I know no one has a crystal ball here, but what does adoption look like to so to, to you in real estate? Well, let's stay with the equipment. Well, oh, they trend quite a bit together, though. Uh, okay. I would say five for equipment, and it's two to three years for real estate. Maybe even six for six or seven for equipment. Okay. D- t- tell me both. What does it look like for both of them? So in two to three years, I think that you're definitely going to be, you know, an NFT in the real estate um, market. It's going to change in like the metaverse. People are super confused with even what that is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like if you look like at society, you know, I like to just watch people, right? So like you, you go down and watch people and like, where one of the places I have in Boston, I like to sit and you watch like these different cultures come in and they love the phone. They, they've just they got the new smartphone. They're, they're living on their phone and you, you make it, you know, your own tribe on your own phone. So you can relate to a lot of people on the internet more so than you can in real life. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of the transfer between like the physical and the, and the digital. Right. And so, when I've been into a couple of meetings where you walk through a meeting in the metaverse and it's like you're there with all these people that are in your essential like tribe, like what mm-hmm. you can relate to these people versus somebody that you'd meet on the street and doing that with real estate. When that, sh- when we start to, it's be- like I said, it's being done now, but when, when that adoption finally becomes mainstream, it's not going to be, unusual to trade a piece of real estate for as an nft or Mm -hmm. rent it you know what i mean like rentals have a lot to do with nfts you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so you can put in the smart contract and you could do a lot you can do a lot more with with digital things in that space than you can in the actual real world or the physical world i have a tremendous amount of comments in respect to the real estate nfts i'm going to hold my comments because um I want that to be a separate standalone episode, yeah. Which which we'll do. Um, 
I am certified to sell real estate by crypto, so I like that. That doesn't say much, but just nope. so there is some background and I can kind of navigate that space with you. And when I tell people that, they're like kind of freaked out, you know. Mm. But there's still, like I said, you can't. Would I go do it today? No. And the reason why is because it's not regulated. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't. Now, how about adoption in the um, equipment space or the subcontractor space of people that are using heavy equipment, whether it's cranes or great alls or whatever it is that their business is? I would say, like like I said, at least five at the minimum, hmm. you know? But what does that look like for a contractor? They 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 morph to renting equipment. They yeah, they definitely want to that 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 iron has to be moving at all times. You know, what I mean, you can be as much as this. The acquisitions and mergers have created a <clears throat> monopoly of some sort. You, there's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity to be a micro entrepreneur as well. Like you can just now rent out your small skid steers and weed whack whatever you want because of this technology so you can you can sustain like uh you know not everybody wants this digital nomad lifestyle but you can you can definitely leverage technology to change your life and the way you work and you've i've seen that with like i was telling you with uber i always ask i love to get an uber sometimes i ask what did you used to do you know i used to be a drywaller in the union and i you know I, i got kids and i've got this and it's like, okay, well, why are you doing this? Well, I can make my own hours. I get paid at the end of the day. People are changing the way they work. Mm. and Or what they value. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But I think construction is just have this old iron fist where it just doesn't want to change, and people are just leaving the space, and they've had it with it, and that's why there isn't any labor. It's funny when you talk about, like... Um digital nomad or just ability to do stuff here or there. And and I think about it, if you go to the rental model, if that becomes more prevalent, think of the ability of like, now you don't need the capital that you used to need to start Correct. a business. Correct. And that was the one thing my father was like, I think you're crazy. Like you, you go, you're in a shark tank with all these guys with hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, what do you... And I was like, I'm just the guy with the laptop that can move a lot faster and know how to leverage things. You know what's interesting? There's a you guy. Don't need that. There's a guy who used to own a construction company. Um, I mean, I'll say it. Nothing. I don't think he wouldn't want me to say it. So, his name's Mark Truant. He used to own Mark Truant and Associates. Okay. He now does facilities at MIT. And we'll get on a big discussion about MIT later. <laughs> you know, I hang out over there after we sh- <laughs> after we shut the thing off. <laughs> um, so Mark ran his business for a long time and he really um, thrived on going after kind of complicated projects. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were telling me about Small, this guy. And I said, oh, that sounds like something I would do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like he's like, that's, you know, there was good margins and like people knew that his group brought a skill set that that's what they were good at. Right. Um, and then, but after, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever it was, he closed down his shop and actually um i was just talking with one of his guys glenton the other day he was working somewhere else now um and loved it but so he had no problems he would they were they right. were profitable and he had great employees but i think he was just done but he had an outlook that in the future of construction he's like the mid-sized player is gone right is just going to be 
gigantic companies. Correct. You're seeing a, that now. In a guy with a laptop. You're seeing it now. Because a lot of like, you know, I've seen a lot of the union guys go buy their own skid steers, their own bot, you know, they're doing like, you know, they can't make enough money to sustain, you know, even at the local rate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't understand like that local rate was sustained a local living. It, doesn't, <laughs> it hasn't been in 10, 15 years at least. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So now these people are coming from outside and now everyone in the city moved from the city to the outside during COVID and they're okay with spending, you know, 10, 15 grand on a landscape job or whatever. And these guys are like, well, I'll just buy my own stuff and stay in my own backyard. Mm-hmm. And that's causing an issue too. Right. So we were dealing with all these minute, you know, socioeconomic problems or, or opportunities and early problems or some of them are, but, mm-hmm. um, and people are taking advantage of it. Yeah. So this is really a um, just a very broad, like you said, problem, opportunity, whatever. Right. So about your your guy, it made me think of when we had teamed up back in 2009, I think, 10. Me and my father in a local site work company, we did exit 1 on 93. And every night I had to go out there and there's trucks and cops and put out a package it was like this huge huge expense and i was like dad go get me a used stacker and i'll just convey the material over the highway and my father was like are you out of your mind and like two years later it was in the front of i don't know one of the magazines and they were like these guys saved (laughs) and i threw it on my father's desk and i was like you know so i know like some of my ideas are a little crazy but that's Every what it takes, it you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh. But yeah. anyways, it made yeah, me so think of that I story. This is kind of a great way uh, to kind of close this discussion. But we need to be thinking, and, and it's funny, some people ask when I do these episodes, they're like, why are you having this conversation about this? And, and I lump them into what I call like uh, a stretch episode. Right. Right? Which is we as business owners or uh, people that are looking about how to map out their careers, whatever it is, like some of these things may never happen. Some of them might be five years or 10 years away, but you at least have to always be thinking of these things and preparing yourself to your point about either you're going to adopt or die. I used to be very much of the mindset, even with all regulatory changes, like building code is changing all the time. They keep adding new things to it, right? And I used to get frustrated and be like, why don't they just fucking stop changing everything? It's too confusing. People go... And then I just got to the point and said, listen, I can bang my head against the wall and say, why did this happen and get pissed off? Or I can say, this is going to continue to keep happening. You have to learn and adjust and capitalize on it. Right. And that's what I'm hoping people that are listening today, even if you think it's crazy and it's way off and all that kind of thing, you have to at least consider this stuff and maybe start to think about how everything that Brian's saying with respect to labor, uh, tokenization, um, uh, telemetrics, like how all these things are going yeah, to I mean, you're a commodity. Lady. I'm a commodity. And part of that app was that I would, you would commoditize yourself based on your social media. Mm-hmm. If you were really good at X, you could, in, in a, a contractor approach you, you could say, Hey, if you need me for three months, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. Supply and demand. 
So you were actually commoditizing and tokenizing your oneself yep. as an operator. That yeah. was part of the app. But for what you're saying, like, especially with like the youth, I've gotten myself in like some, I don't know how, I, sometimes I question myself, but like I've gotten myself in like the, some serious monetary meetings, like some deep monetary system things and understand the monetary system from a few different aspects. Um, one of them, which was, uh, I, I sold a machine in to a, some central bankers and we'll, we'll have an episode about that. And that was a uh, kind of an interesting thing and like who I met and where I was and the, you know, the things that they taught me. But at the end of the day, I think what people that get so confused and caught up in the day to day, like just go back to philosophy. It's not that hard, right? Like when I have like a bad day at business or like, you know, this guy's doing this or that. And like, I've been in a whole nother deal with this litigation and real estate that's gone completely sideways. And had it been on chain, this wouldn't have been, that was me. Had it been on chain done the new way, this wouldn't have happened, which aggravates me even more. Mm-hmm. But like, I'll just like listen to Alan Watts, right? Like simple philosophy, yeah. like people get yeah. so con and like, I think that's what's missing. And, and so you've got this transition and adoption trying, you know, getting sh- shoved in everyone's face. And it's like, well, just take a step back and like, just, just Put focus on the philosophy. Like this is what it is. Right. Yeah. And, and people just, I think that that would change the youth. Like if we taught more philosophy in the youth, whatever they thought of or, or made do come about wouldn't really matter mm-hmm. because the philosophy stayed the same because that doesn't really move. That doesn't really change. Right. Mm. From a philosophical look view, yep. that doesn't really change. All the rest of the stuff, the technology, the digital, the, the crypto, whatever. Like I've been so far into it that I've had to like, that's only take a step back. It's just center back to philosophy and that's it. Yeah. Simple. Alan Watts is an interesting cat if people haven't listened to him. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, that's that's all super exciting. Um, if we can do one last thing before we close. Sure. Um, we've touched on it a little bit, but in, as best you can in simple terms, how do you see tokenization uh, playing out in the equipment market in the future? Liquidity. It's two a couple words I love. Latency, liquidity, adoption. Meaning that, meaning that, because you don't have to outlay that capital, correct. So there's an opportunity for this new wave of entrepreneurs, basically, because if you look at the big companies, they really can't hold any talent. But how does that? How does that work? How does tokenization allow for that? Because it allows them to move assets faster okay rentals faster everything is at the flick of a switch so i get a job i can then go on some type of an app yeah and through the blockchain There's, buy a piece of equipment you pay on, for you it within seconds rent, it's going to be a storefront yeah so you're basically renting it off a storefront but um the other thing i would but renting off no. of a storefront doesn't need to be a token, right? No, it doesn't. But you can tokenize your own assets. 
and then there's fintech behind that you can leverage against them. There's there's a lot of fintech tools behind just tokenization in general, okay. right? So you don't so as far as like a tokenization goes, like maybe I'll I'll give you a prime example because please. that can get confusing, please, yeah. right? So you I think you're using tokenization out of oh, maybe a little bit of a different aspect. If somebody does work for you, right, over here, like mm-hmm. when you move any currency on any currency, you get a 1099B, right? Okay. It's income regardless. Yeah. Right? So if I had a guy, like I like to, like if you want to tip a low bed guy, right, which I think is a great thing to do because that's a really high risk job and it's a it's probably one of the worst jobs you could have, especially dealing with traffic today, right? Mm-hmm. So um, one of the guys likes to go to Europe. Like with his digital wallet, I can tip him in the euro if it was worth more money. It's worth more to him because he's going to Europe. Like those are the type of different things. Like you can take different currencies. So not so much tokenization. It's more about digitizing. Digitizing things and how Got people it. want them to yep. use. You know what I mean? Like you can, there's, there's a new way of, the way technology is emerging to monetize people and things. Yep. Not so much tokenization. Yeah. The tokenization would be working on the bigger scale with buying and selling. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily a subcontractor Correct. using tokenization to benefit in some way, but the digitization of it and the analytics of on the machines and the remote operators and all that stuff is... Yeah, I mean, it's it's at some point in time, yes, it will be like I was saying it, on the app. Increases liquidity because you're not paying out all that, right? Cause, cause and think w- about well, think about this: like you're thirty, sixty, ninety. Like I said before, the hardest part of the contracting business was getting paid. So now we're on like this gridlock, right? You'll see, like, oh, get the Home Depot card, get this card, get that card. Like, all everyone's becoming a bank. Mm-hmm. So those are those are great tools to use. And one the contractor reached out to me recently. I was like, well, what if? What if you paid out your guys every day? That would be attractive, and and people I think would come on board. They'd be like, "Oh, I get a paycheck every day. I get paid out every day, right?" Yep. So he could solicit that, and what he could do is leverage that on a credit card and get thirty days out of it there. That gives him liquidity because mm-hmm. he's yep. not taking the capital out and paying paying the labor. It's a great idea. So that's a tool for the future, right? Like that's mm. leveraging smart, like in a technology to say, Hey, now all of a sudden that guy can compete for labor. Yep. No, that's a brilliant idea. And that's where I think a lot of these bigger companies is like, we're in a liquidity crisis, mm-hmm. right? Like that at the end of the day, or even think about this. If, um, if you are, if with the machine comes the operator, that's remote or a real person, yeah, the whole thing right now, you're not, saying, okay, hey, I've got someone on my payroll. I don't want to lose them. I'm going to take this job for le-. like, no, you don't need to. I mean, Correct. I, Correct. I did it in my life. My wife and I wanted to go to one car. Yeah. Right? So we're going to go to one car, and then when I need to go to work or go somewhere for work, I Uber. Right. I did the math. It cost me less. Correct. To Uber everywhere. Correct. Then it would even so I don't care. I'll say it. so. I had at the time I had a, uh, a Honda Civic before mm-hmm. that I was leasing. Yep, it was uber cheap. It was like a hundred bucks a month from my Civic for the lease payment, right? right? But even with that cheap of a car, never mind a three or four hundred dollar payment. But right. even with that cheap of a car, it was still cheaper for me to Uber 
And if you think about it, especially when I had meetings in town, I would take an Uber in, get dropped off at the front door, go up, right? Mm -hmm. What I saved on gas, every time you'd go into downtown Boston, I'm either driving around trying to find a spot to work for free and then paying for a meter. And a meter now is not two bucks anymore. It's can be in the teens, depending on if you're in the seaport or something, right? right? But most cases, you need to just park in a lot. In a lot downtown in a garage is 40 bucks. Yeah. Look what Blue Bike's done. (laughs) I love those things. Yeah. So when I, uh, because I had everything in QuickBooks, so I knew all my expenses. I looked at the expenses, like it cost me, I think, between seven and 8,000 for my vehicle Mm -hmm. the year prior. I spent 5,000 in Ubers going where I needed to go. So I just saved three grand. I also saved the day where like, okay, hey, it's you're at 15,000 miles, bring it in for your 15,000 mile maintenance and mm-hmm. sitting there for an hour doing oil change. None of that. Mm-hmm. No maintenance. No, I need to buy new tires. None of it. Like, right. So, so it, that's happening with like mobilization of equipment, right? So like most of these companies, they have their own low bid. Now the expense of a low bid, plus you got to get a driver. It's insurance. just like it's gotten to the point where... Like, if you need a five-piece machine moved, you have five different towing companies showing up, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And yeah. it's like, as needed, right? Like, yep. and, and that's that's what we're... But a guy that has a low bed that knows how to leverage the technology and has the right contacts can go out and make a good day's living. And somebody with that Volvo machine that I built, mm-hmm. that was the point I wanted to make, was that you could make a good living with that one machine more than you ever could, you know, being in any sort of... Uh, hourly hourly job, job. right yeah. and mm-hmm. and and you would be okay and that was it the overhead was was x you you there were no if you needed a low bed you made the call and it was just uh but you were eliminating all of those overhead costs mm-hmm. and i think that's where you know a lot of these bigger companies are just like you know before they buy the asset and they leverage against it and they you know but mm-hmm. where i tell you where, where this gets a little iffy mm-hmm. is the bonding Bonding of the subcontract. Sell the asset, and you're subbing everything out. You have no. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, collateral. Collateral. Thank you. I couldn't think that's, of the word. That's where things are getting a little rocky. Mm. That's interesting. So as much as it works, so then it gets to the point. Like I've had a couple of friends that have sold their companies for one of them. I think it was like forty, fifty million bucks. Got them all set. I was like, repeat what you just said. He's like, I have 50 million. I'm like, you have 50 million what? He's like, I have 50 million dollars. It's like, that's not good. <laughs> well, it's good, but... It's it's not good. Because it's not an asset. Yeah, yes. So now where do you put your money? Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm so still- a guy that's at 50 million dollars, you'd think he's really smart. Wow, that's great. He's successful. Where you have fifty million dollars, yeah. So he's still in good shape. He's still in good shape. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I've gotten these questions, and the guy, the guy, I, I get the big, thinks thinks about it overnight, and I get a phone call, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Like, I didn't think of it like that. Like, what do I do? I'm like, "You're on your own." Like, I'm not a financial advisor, but you know, and and like, I have like one one of the things uh, the accounts I have. Like, I jokingly with my uncle, right, who was like very well off in this day i had uh an amex a crypto debit card 
and then a regular debit card. And I said, which one would you rather? And he picked the Amex because all the points you don't get that with debit card. I was like, yeah, but the other one has digital assets on there that are appreciating where the debit card has just dollars that's being engulfed in flames right now yeah. in inflation, and the other one's just dead. So the money, the capital was always invested in other digital assets other than just debt and a, a dollar that's being diminished mm-hmm. by the minute. And that was my point to him. And that's the old way of thinking. Yes. Yep. No, I get it. And with those digital assets, you can flip into any, you know, any currency in the world as well, any fiat currency. Yeah. So basically your money is always invested elsewhere and the cash of what you needed at that given time you can expense. Hmm. Where that changes is taxes. Yeah. But we'll get into that later on. All right. Well, this hopefully gave people none of this is financial advice i'm not a financial advisor i'm not an expert in anything <laughs> hopefully this hopefully gave... this i hopefully this opened some eyes to people to adopt and whatever they want to do well that, yeah that's what i was going to say hopefully it hopefully op- they adopt hopefully they're like oh I mean, you know what i'm not really making any money and can't get any help and i can't what's going on because yeah. I think there's a lot of misdirection right now. Yeah. Well, I think open their eyes, but and their minds, right? So, to at least just think about the landscape that you're talking about that is potentially their future, right? And start to at least you like, even if they're not um, going all in on adoption at least use this information as a data point in the decision-making and say, do I want to make the investment in this or do I want to yeah, become... Look at your options. ...signatory with a particular thing. Do I want to... Like, yeah, w- what is that? And start saying, what does the future look like? And let's make decisions based off of a reasonable expectation of what the future looks like. Right. So I really hope this is a stretch episode for people to get them to stretch their mind and yeah, we're think gonna do some more and what a we'll little do bit is we'll pick one topic and try to navigate the murky waters. Yep. So and uh, I will say the next six months are gonna be very interesting. Okay. In all markets. Can't wait to see how based on regulation. I have a little trip planned coming up, so uh, I'll be back with some some good information for you. Awesome. Very good, very good content. Fantastic. So, all right, Brian, thank you very much. This was great, and uh, hopefully, we'll be talking soon. That's it. Thanks.